you know, that kind of thing. Underground a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. That was a <laughs> real weird statement. Uh, I'm gonna be less self-conscious uh, 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 about the things I say. Yeah, do it. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your list, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Read me your thing. Should oh, wait. We, actually, we should, should probably our intro podcast? our shit. Intro yeah. our podcast. Da, 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 da. Oh, I lit a candle. Oh. Hey, you weren't here last week. No, I was not. Um, but I hear that we had... Nope. I know I was not, but we had a really fucking fabulous guest host. Yes, we did. And uh, her name is Alyssa. If you didn't listen to the episode, go listen to it. I really um, like our guest host episodes. It's yeah. Because people are like really excited about certain women. Like not that we aren't, but they're like really chomping at the bit to want to come talk about like one particular woman that they're yeah. super excited about. Well, that was so Alyssa's been been mentioning to me for a little while that she has this person. She had this person that she really wanted to talk about. And she was the exact right person to talk about her because of her background with like she went to Catholic school for a long time. She understands the context of a lot of these Baroque paintings that yep. um, that this artist was known for painting and. So it was really perfect because she got she got so much more background that I would not have gotten, even though I kind of wanted to do her at some point. Me too. But now the way is open for me to do another female Baroque painter that I have been sort of waffling. Amazing. Between I love both our guest uh, hosts have done artists. I know. That is really kind of interesting. I wonder if... Uh, I think it's just a signal of just like how significant art is to the world. Yeah. Agreed. Boom. Boom. Um, you're listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Damn straight. This is a weekly podcast where we talk to you about uh, feminine inclined ladies or folks, and um, we think they're cool and want to tell you about them. Yeah, man. That was good. I'm trying to get more succinct. I like it. I, I mean, we we've been about doing women, this for so. a year, and it's still. <laughs> hey. I've, I've heard on plenty of podcasts people who are like, we've been doing this for so long, and we still are awkward about getting it started. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, we're falling into that category. Yeah. But I think it's because you and I are good conversationalists. And so when we have to do the the obligatory like intro. Boilerplate and shit. Boilerplate yeah. shit. Like that's when we which go. Which is important. Blah. Which is important. Yeah. How do we do that? Because I have no, we don't have any fucking clue. Give me a script. I'm good on script. But if <laughs> yeah. you get me off script but want me to say something scripty. Oh my God. And I'm like, and no. What? Yeah. Then it's the worst. But. But yeah. We talk about women. Uh, that's Deanna. That's I'm, Hannah. I'm Hannah. Yep. Uh, and um, yeah, we're gonna bring you some some cool shit this week. Yep. You have a thing to I read. I have a little a little quick intro, and we're gonna have to post a picture on Instagram to give people a notion. Cool. So remind me so I can post it before or as the episode goes live. Okay. Um. So this uh is a little teeny article from Edinburgh Live. Oh. And the headline is, this badass Edinburgh photo shows two ladies in long dresses and hats rock climbing in the 1900s. Who needs specialist climbing gear when you've got formal frocks and heels? This is written by Hillary Mitchell. 
Um, it says, these days, rock climbing equipment is very high tech with safety features like harnesses, spring-loaded carabiners, helmets, as well as special climbing shoes with crips, spikes, and rubber soles. This was not the case in the early 1900s as this amazing photograph taking in Holyrood Park shows. Lucy Smith and Pauline Rankin, two members of the Ladies Scottish Climbing Club founded in 1908, can be seen ascending Salisbury crags wearing long ankle-length skirts, hats, blouses, and smart shoes. The only protection they had was a length of rope that was tied around their waists. Oh my god. There was no harness there were no harnesses, crampons, or other modern safety equipment available to them at that time. Lucy Smith, one of the women in the photo, was one of the founding uh, founding members of the Lady Scottish Climbing Club. The other two founding members were Jane Inglis Clark and her daughter Mabel. They formed the Clark because nope. <laughs> They formed the club, the Clark, as because as women, they were barred from joining the men-only Scottish Mountaineering Club. Oh. Of course. And they trained regularly on Salisbury Crags in Edinburgh. All three women climbed extensively in Scotland and the Alps before forming the club, including the major climbing areas in Scotland, such as, words I cannot say, uh, <laughs> Cri- Crianlorich. I wouldn't even attempt no, it. No, Gaelic. Gaelic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glencoe and Skye. I can say Glencoe and Skye. There you but- go. It's probably like Clanre or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> Outlander has made me question everything. Good. Um, they did much of that climbing in thick, long tweed skirts, smart jackets, and of course, hats. Unlike the men's club, who wore stout boots and trousers, which must have made things easier. By the end of yeah. 1908, the club had 14 members. To qualify, women had to ascend four peaks of at least 3,000 feet with two snow climbs and two rock climbs. To be decent... They would start their climbs in their restrictive long skirts. However, when no men were around, they would often discard these to climb in knickerbockers, knee-length trousers that could be hidden under their dresses. Oh, my God. The club were extremely ambitious and would take on bold climbs of mountains such as the Buckle. Uh, it's uh, French words that even I can't pronounce. Oh, good. I can't even oh. fuck. What the fuck? It's B-U-A-C-H-A-I-L-L-E. Etivement uh-uh. and Suilven. Mm-hmm. A sense that still challenge modern climbers with all of the latest gear. Jesus. So if you're ever in any doubt that your female ancestors are incredibly badass, print out this photo and put it up in your house to remind you. Here, I'll hand this over to you so you can see them. If they, I can't. Whoops. Nope. Don't lock your phone. Just a rope and they're massive like. Also, like clothing washing technology was not as good back then. So can you imagine like sweating it up and stinking up those heavy ass clothes and That's trying insane. to figure out a way to wash them? I I can't like the things that They must women... have really loved climbing. My god. With just a rope. But and also all your fucking you dresses. can see that their rope just holds them together in this picture. Oh god. Like take I just noticed this. If you look at this picture, like zoom in. The rope is just tying the two of them together. It's not tied to anything else. Like, look at that rope. It just goes across the rocks between the two of them. Is it? Oh, God. I hope it's like there's like a loop or something there that it's... That stresses me out. Huh. It's literally only tying them together. Yeah. That's not how you do it now. That's not how you keep safe. No. These women were badasses. Man. Rock climbing scares me to this day. I mean, we come from a, a state where there are lots of rock climbers. Yeah, and rock climbing is fun, but yeah, it's scary. Hey, hey. Yeah. Well, shit. Thanks. 
You're welcome. <laughs> I love stuff like that. In fact, it kind of reminds me of, I'm kind of sad I didn't do the person I was considering doing oh, today. Oh, would have tied in? Um, that would have tied into that a little bit. So I'm going to have to maybe do her next time. Okay. Um, because it kind of ties into that uh, dangerous, strenuous activity as a woman in the early 1900s and what you do yeah, and how you do it and why. Yeah. So. Also, just quick tangent. Yeah. Because I sent it to you this week via text message because I found out in an HBO commercial that they are making a show about Gentleman Jack. Oh, and yeah. Lister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I haven't seen like any real trailer about it, but it was in the HBO like upcoming and it was like little f- sizzle reel flashes of all the shows coming up. And I just saw it was like a, a, a well-dressed uh, woman who was in very masculine clothing and a period piece. And it said, Gentleman Jack. And I was like, wait, like Ann Lister, Gentleman Jack? Uh-huh. And I looked it up and it surely is. And I'm really glad that we fucking covered her already. I know. I was going to say, I can't remember which episode. It was in June of last year because it was for Pride Month. Okay. So June of last year. I'm gonna, I mean, Maybe what I'll do is in the show notes, put a link to um, that episode because yeah. it really is worth, I, I mean, Gentleman Jack. She was interesting. Yeah. She was very interesting yeah. and very complicated and caught up uh-huh. in a lot of traditional gender roles yes. and the, and she felt very strongly about traditional gender roles in her female partners and yeah but she saw herself as be as taking on the masculine side of those traditional gender roles right without considering herself to be a man right and so yeah she's like i don't know it's interesting it's so cool yeah all right yeah i'm thank you for reminding me about that i i Maybe I'll find a link to both of those things. Our episode and the HBO thing. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. This week, so because I figured you had probably seen Captain Marvel... And, uh, and I have. And, and you it was have. fucking great. <laughs> and maybe by the time this episode drops, I will have two. I don't know. Um, but I was curious about women in comics. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I thought Alex might um, appreciate that. Alex is our producer today because Ben is out of town. Um, and Chester. So, no, not Chester. You know. Alex insists. So it, it brought me to thinking about women in comics and, and, just like where that started brought me to somebody who wasn't necessarily the first, but she was very interesting. Like her contribution to comics is very interesting. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah. Her name is, and she's still alive, her name is Trina Robbins. Yeah, Alex knows. Um, And she was the first woman to draw Wonder Woman. Oh. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, it's kind of cool, kind of crazy. And and Wonder Woman had existed for like forty years before they actually had a woman come in and draw Wonder Woman. Yeah, kind of insane. Um, but she had a very fascinating life before ever getting into like DC or Marvel comics. Okay, so some of my um, sources today are randomly marketwatch.com. <laughs> I don't know why they had a good article about her, but they did. Okay. Um, the Daily Beast, mm-hmm. Vulture, mm-hmm. Uh, Wikipedia, and let's see, anything else that might be, that might be it. Okay. So, um, Robin's, oh shit, wait, where do I start? Oh, I copied and pasted something weird. Okay. (laughs) I was like, where, where is this? So Trina Robbins, um, her artist's awakening, her comics awakening came when she'd already built kind of an unusual life for herself. Okay. Um, she was born in Queens in 1938. All right. Yeah. She spent her childhood fixated on any comic she could find with a female protagonist. and Which was rare back then. Which was very rare. And science fiction was also part of that. Like, she supplemented that with sci-fi novels. She loved Tolkien. Um, so she started drawing very early on, first for herself, and then she started submitting her work to science fiction fan magazines. Mm-hmm. And so she became known in the sci-fi world before she was ever part of the comics world. Interesting. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and when she was old enough, <laughs> I love this, when she was old enough to track to her local candy store in South Ozone Park, Queens, she said she would buy comics with her weekly allowance. Mm-hmm. She said, comics, they're the perfect method of communication, aren't they? They say a picture's worth a thousand words, but what if you have a picture and a thousand words? I don't know why that's I like. I kind of love that. But it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting. Because comic books are imagery and dialogue. Mm-hmm. That was a really dumb statement. but Not at when all. When you think about because I am a recent comic book nerd convert, con- convert mm-hmm. um, because I love reading novels, as do you. Yep. And But it's, it's interesting when the image is kind of sort of given to you. Yeah. And comic books, really, in their current form, really didn't come about till after movies. Started. Yeah, that's a good point. And and so it's interesting because they're very cinematic. Yeah. And of course now storyboarding is a thing that happens in movies, which look a lot like comic strips. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, but anyway, I like all of your connections. Thanks. Um, she wrote an autobiography a couple of years ago, which. I will link to in the show notes. I can't nice. remember what it's called. I think it's like Last Girl Standing. Um, but in a period that she says was too painful to write about in her own autobiography, she had her confidence destroyed by like bad boyfriends and just like bad. She got herself into some bad situations. All all women who are attracted to men go through that yeah. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and she ended up in L.A. in the early 60s where one of those boyfriends, I believe, told her she should pose nude for men's magazines and then she would become a movie star. Did she want to become a movie star? I don't know. She didn't seem to really know what she wanted uh, at that point. But she was, I can relate. You know, she was a vivacious and charismatic person. Like, she had a lot. Um, 
she had a lot of personality and i i get the feeling she liked the spotlight a little bit yeah so that wouldn't surprise me to hear that like that was an interest of hers yeah um but she obviously that didn't happen she ended up just kind of doing um nude modeling for men's magazines until she was quote saved by her Ugh, first gross yeah but she's that's the word she used i mean yeah but you but, know uh, yeah she basically her first husband or i guess only husband um but she had several uh long-term relationships after but her husband who was a magazine guy impresario named paul robbins came and he was like you need to get out of this like you you don't want to do this. You're meant I mean, for, if you're unhappy doing it, yeah. yeah. You're meant for bigger and better things. And she she has said like her self-esteem was really shot at that point. And so it was sure. good to get out of that of out of the magazines. And she really was grateful to him for that. So she um this was obviously this was in the sixties, so this was at a time when people were doing a lot of fucking drugs. <laughs> and, <laughs> which I think is uh something that a lot of articles didn't actually mention, but I think the Vulture article did talk about it. Um, but she started designing and making clothes for herself. And then she started selling them at crafts fairs. And she got a reputation for her work. So Sonny Bono approached her about making some outfits for him and Cher, which she didn't do because she apparently liked to avoid zippers and tailored clothing. Okay, well, she wouldn't have gotten along with, um, <laughs> with our, our fashion designer friend. No, not at all. She was self-taught. Like, she may not may not have liked Zip. Like, she Zippers didn't want to design for Sunny Bono. <laughs> Why would you turn that down? They wore fantastic costumes. Because she's an idiot. And I think probably because she was on drugs. Oh. Um, she, she was an idiot, Hannah <laughs> says about the woman that she's doing this week. <laughs> In that moment, she was being weird. In that moment, she was like... She was being a little dumb. You know, she was being a little dumb. We've all been there. She did make clothes for Cass Elliot of the Mamas and Papas. Yep. Ooh. And for David Crosby and Donovan, although apparently... Which is cool that she could design clothes for like a a heavier woman. Yeah. But apparently they couldn't perform in the shirts she made for them Uh because the sleeves were dripping with lace and got caught in guitars. Um, and this was, this was the time in her life when apparently she became the subject of some Joni Mitchell songs. Wait, what? How? She is the Trina of Joni Mitchell's song, Ladies of the Canyon. And I don't know. So I think it was was a time. She's just like admired with all these famous people, but wasn't exactly famous herself. Yeah. She became very well known. I think they were all kind of getting together, doing some drugs. Doing drugs together. Probably fucking. Yep. Probably fucking. Um, And so by 1966, she was a full-on hippie. Sounds about right. And moved back to New York. So she moved to downtown New York after having a vision, quote-unquote, in which her father died. Yeah. (laughs) And she founded a clothing boutique there called Broccoli. Like the vegetable? Like the vegetable. (laughs) So named due to a fucking drug trip in which (laughs) she thought she could communicate with Broccoli. Well, so that's yeah. where that's where her mind that was makes at that sense. point. That yeah. makes sense. I, uh, yeah. And and that was the time when she started drawing really trippy comics in the form of ads for her store in the alternative paper, the East Village Other. Oh. And in 1969, she got published in her first comic book as part of the nascent 
underground comics movement, which comics is spelled with an X uh-huh. in that, and that's a real thing. Like underground comics, if you Google it, there's a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to it, and it was this subversive indie comics movement, which was all about like, um, you know, fucking political comics and alternative ideas and i think it was probably pretty liberal um she was part of this under uh this nascent underground comics movement which was a loose collective of creators um some of the best known include r crumb and art spiegelman and publishers i know he's (laughs) my boyfriend's like yes um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and publishers who specialized in boundary-pushing printed stories. Her thick-inked contributions to the movement tended to be more abstract than obscene, and by the time she decided to leave her husband, Paul, um, and arrived in San Francisco again in 1969 with a new boyfriend, comics artist Kim Deitch, and joined up with the booming underground scene there, she had built a growing reputation for herself. So all of this stuff happened, like, kind of in a whirlwind. She left her husband. She moved to San Francisco with a new guy in She'd 1969. She was part of this underground comics movement. She got She'd involved. She yeah. comics as ads. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so she was now living with her new boyfriend, Kim Deitch. Deitch? Deitch? It's D-E-I-T-C-H. Deitch? Deitch? Um, Maybe Deitch, because E-I. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. I. So, yeah, so it was kind of a weird time for her. Like, she had just left her boutique. She had decided to start drawing comics. She left her husband. And now she was back in California as part of this movement. Um, And it was probably the most remarkable year in 1969 for her, not just because of the move or, or, like, the new creative endeavor she had, but rather the fact that it was the first time she considered herself a feminist. She became a feminist that year. She, All right. Yeah. She came across an article headlined, Why the Women Are Revolting. Wait, what year was this? 1969. And she was born in 39? 38. 38. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Right. So she's 31. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. In that time? Yeah. Yeah. So she was like making a career shift or a creative you know focus shift i guess because like at that point you were just kind of like a wanderer which is what she seems to have been um i feel like that's what you would have been in that time (laughs) probably oh my god my mom would love to hear you say that (laughs) so yeah so she she read this article and she became this, this, I think it was Vulture that said, she transformed from an effervescent hippie into an ardent second wave feminist, which... Why can't you be both? Yeah, I think she could probably was a little bit of both. It's, it's really, um, it, 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 had, it had a big effect on her. It changed everything about her outlook. It changed her art. It mm. basically was like, I mean, it was an awakening in a big way. She had said a lot of things before this that one of her friends Patrick Rosencrantz remembers her saying that's like kind of misogynistic I guess they won't say what it is this article but like she would say things that were very anti-feminist and then later on when asked like you know what do you think about the fact that he said that she would you know she would be like I don't remember saying that I'm a feminist like I don't remember ever thinking that way which is kind of funny. Maybe it was a for like a survival tactic. 
really very because possible. i think about some of the shit that i mean i've always really considered myself very feminist inclined but some of the things i i was more inclined when i was a teenager to be convinced that it's like well i'm all for equal rights but like feminism seems kind of like it's about women being better than men like you could convince <laughs> yeah. me of that pretty easily and so i it was like the taylor swift thing where she's like hesitant to call herself a feminist Ugh, yes. because of x y and z reason yeah. and now i'm not like that but of course i when i'm a teenager i'm very impressionable and i still i've always been the kind of person who's like i don't know i don't know anything yeah and which is was, true if you're too certain of things then this you're... was 1969 yeah. You know, it was like second wave feminism was some serious shit. And like people hard hitting shit. Hard hitting shit. And like now Robin's version of feminism, I don't really know. I didn't want to dive too deep because I didn't want to like find out she was a turf or some shit because I kind of feel like well, a lot of second wave feminists are. A lot of second wave feminists are. Um so I don't know really how she felt about any of that, but um, after, and intersectionality became a thing like just after because it was the early 80s, I think, when the intersectionality um, essay was written by a woman who I unfortunately can't remember her name, but she's a black woman who was like, hey, yeah. all these issues intersect. And yeah. and white feminists that were second wave feminists were like, no. And it's like, all right. Uh-huh. And that still lingers today. It still lingers. Like, well, I suffer, too. Yep. Like, yes, you do. Because being a woman, of course. Yeah. But it's not the same. Well, and apparently she, even at the time, like in the 70s, I assume, when she was doing some of these comics that she was that she was heading up, she would get that criticism. Like, you don't have enough queer people writing comics for you. You don't have enough women of color writing comics for you. And she was, her excuse was, well, they're just not submitting artwork to me. Which, of course, is always the That's excuse. The excuse. But I don't know how true, I don't know how true any of that really is. But that was something that she did get flack for, that she had a, you know, a a ready excuse for. So, So. after becoming a serious feminist, Robbins got excited about underground comics. And also she was dating somebody who was involved with that movement. So it makes sense. Um, And... Uh, she saw them as a way to talk about a lot of the, this new shit she just discovered for herself. You know, all of the feminist, like, uh, theory and, and everything she was finally starting to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was finding it really hard to get attention in the movement, let alone any support from the, the myriad male cartoonists. Um, who considered themselves to be subversive and underground. But yeah. then when the woman was like, hey, what about my perspective? They're like, we're already underground and subversive. Like your your opinion, it we we can represent it. It's fine because we're all on the same team. And it's like, mm-hmm. Or it's not even that important. Like subversion is only important for men because we are the, you know, we're yeah. the men. Um, That's going to be a sound, which when I hear it <laughs> in the episode, I'm going to be like, Deanna, shut up. <laughs> Um, so she said in her memoir, they didn't want any girls in their boys club. The wives and girlfriends would even do things like color in their art and they would sell their, their husbands and their boyfriends things for them at conventions. It reminds me of when you talked about. Thank you for typing. Yes. Yeah. The, the wives typing the manuscripts for all of the men. They would be the ones coloring in and selling and doing all the grunt work. Yep. 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 So that their men could be tortured creatives yeah they could just go do their art man and she was like there was nobody selling my stuff for me no and i resented the hell out of it 
Um, so she recounts that her boyfriend, Deitch, I'm going to say Deitch because that was, I think, a good suggestion. He would receive party invitations in the mail addressed to him, but never to him and Trina Robbins. Even though she was also a part of the movement. Even though she was part of the movement and she was creating art for the movement. When she did get into events, she writes that they could be sexist nightmares. Uh, one dinner gathering allegedly involved, quote, the guys from going from room to room trying to get away from me and me following. <laughs> the vibe was clear. Why isn't this bitch in the kitchen where she belongs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she also found the misogyny in the underground comic scene extremely disturbing. Some men, like R. Crumb, drew comics about rape and murder and thought her failure to find them funny meant she just didn't have a sense of humor. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a joke. Lighten up. It's funny. Ugh. Another example she cites in her memoir is Crumb's iconic 1970s comic, um, Underground Hotline in which the artist imagines himself strangling a female TV interviewer who calls him out on the, quote, sick stuff that he draws. She oh, said, God. yeah, she said, I think that a lot of these guys simply were misogynist. Um, and it turns it turned out what a lot of these guys, what they had in their head was very vicious, very violent stuff. <laughs> kind of insane. And actually this. I mean, we may have to cut this, but like the root of evil stuff that we've that like they've been talking about in that podcast, how the surrealism movement was very misogynist and and objectified. Yeah. Very violent towards women and objectified like their their corpses, basically. Well, it also reminds me today how it still persists when women comment on like the over sexualization of the costuming and and the um, poses that female superheroes take. Yeah. And then like gross men come back and they're like, yeah, well, what about He-Man? What about <laughs> yeah. this drawing of like like these hyper masculine, like really ripped buff? Like that's tell me that's not the same thing, but in the opposite. Uh, and it's like, no, actually, all of this has to do with um, uh, projections of power and hypermasculinity that men want to identify with and has nothing to do with what women find sexy. And 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 the ultimate um, comeback is people look at they're like, here, take a look at Hugh Jackman on the cover of men's magazines versus on the cover of women's magazines. Ooh. And you see him on the cover of men's fitness, basically as Wolverine, like jacked out shirtless, like fucking posing and with his like really hyper masculine like muscles out like shredded all this shit and yep. then look at him at the on the cover of good housekeeping he's in this like really like sweet sweater and he's just like posed all sweet oh. and it's like that's not what women want yeah women don't want to see that like that doesn't get us off it doesn't what it does is it makes men go yeah 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 that's what i want to be damn straight not what women go oh fuck yeah that's sexy like maybe sometimes we'll look at that and go oh look at batman's abs like shit <laughs> but that's not that's not they're not drawn for women's consumption no. comics are at least they used to be drawn for men's consumption for the most part which is why women were always hypersexualized, even if they were powerful women like the way that they they cup like the under boob is fully shown in a skin tight thing like that doesn't happen yeah. even in skin tight clothing you just want to see there's this example of this one image of this um, female superhero who's climbing over a thing you can see every single fold of her fucking vagina oh, in a skin tight costume and it's like you just wanted to draw a naked woman yep it's not 
Yep. What are you talking about? Yep. But that's but, but when when someone came in with the example of Hugh Jackman on men's magazines versus women's magazines, that's brilliant. I was like, that's exactly right. Yeah. Because what women want to see is a strong, sweet, approachable, like friendly, warm, but still masculine. Yep. But but not like I'm aggressively flexing every one of my abs. Like no, no, we no don't women... give a shit about that. No. We usually just go like okay, because it's male posturing. Yes. <laughs> my god yes especially in a world where like i mean i hate to cite louis ck but like you know when the number one threat to women is men like we don't want to necessarily see we we don't find that hyper masculinity hyper masculinity something approach like something approachable and it's accessible. a little bit threatening yes so it's not, yeah. No, I think that's very well said. And then all the times they take female superheroes in particular poses and then they draw male superheroes in the same pose and they're like, and now yeah. tell me that women aren't drawn to be specifically <laughs> sexy. Yeah, I know, with the butt out. and yeah. Butt pushed out as far as humanly possible and the chest out, but also like fucking flex, like their yeah. legs spread. Yeah. Dude, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she was really calling a lot of that stuff out when she could at the time. Right, which it's still hard because yeah, it's hard even today. It's hard even fucking today. But in in she 19- was a pioneer in this front, clearly. Yes. No. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know what all of her politics were. Like, it's very well, possible she she's had a some turf. problematic stuff. I have no idea. But you know, yeah. So take all of that with a grain of salt. But in 1970, she and a collaborator put together and edited "It Ain't Me, Babe" comics. Named after, though not directly affiliated with the paper that she also edited, of the same name. It ain't me, babe. Okay. Um, uh, uh, which was a single issue filled to the brim with female-led stories and joyous feminist advocacy. Nice. It was the first comics anthology exclusively made and edited by women, and thus nice. is an oft-unsung turning point in the history of comics art. Um, it was, quote, a terrain-shifting move, as comics historian Hilary L. Shute puts it. Robbins followed that up with, 19, with uh, the 1971 all-woman anthology All Girl Thrills Ooh. and a solo comic called Girl Fight Comics in 1972. But that was, in a way, a prelude to the longest-lasting of the projects that Robbins helped get off the ground, which was Women's Comics, spelled W I M M E N. I know it, they had a thing. That's exhausting. They had a thing about that at this time. I don't really know or like, why. Or like women spelled with a Y, so it it, yeah. ta- it takes men out of the, the name <laughs> yeah. wo- like woman. It's like woman with a Y, which I think is why they ultimately renamed. It. So it was originally W I M M E N. They renamed it after a, a point with W I M M I N. Yep. Yeah. Um, But it went on to become the most significant all-woman comic series of the next two decades. And it was also the source of what was perhaps her most momentous artistic conflict. Really? I think is interesting because it's all about, I mean, she basically was conflicting with these women who were working with her on this anthology um, about artistic style and what they wanted to say and why. And Which makes sense. Yeah. It featured the, the uh, anthology featured the debut of one cartoonist who would become her loudest critic, Aline or Alina. Come 
A-L-I-N-E. So I'm going to say Aline. Aline uh-huh. Kaminsky. Now, wait for it, Aline Kaminsky Crumb. Oh, uh, yes. no. Yes, she married Robert Crumb, the guy that she, that Trina really did not like. Um, and Aline had a style that could not have been more different from Trina. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where Trina was fond of refined elegance in content and presentation, Kaminsky was committed to radical messiness. Which could be cool. Yeah. And at the time, like, I mean, you got to remember that um, Trina Robbins was older than a lot of these women at yeah, the time. Right. Like, she kind of got into the movement a little bit later, and so she had some more classical ideas yeah, style, about... Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Kaminsky's stories for women's comics were autobiographical affairs that depicted in uncomfortably vivid detail her own self-hatred and neuroses. Um, Which sounds very masculine, frankly. <laughs> I mean, That's yeah. That's like all any fucking like, white male author in the 1900s ever did. It feels like she was very heavily influenced by her boyfriend, um, you know, her husband. Dis- husband, now husband. Um, and Robbins, Trina Robbins was really like not happy, obviously, about Aline dating Robert Crumb. Right. Like there was, you know, that was a big source of conflict for the two of them. And um, ultimately, I just I had to include this quote from from Aline Kaminsky because it was it's so like, oh, God, you just don't understand she said, we were feeling increasingly annoyed and alienated from um, the group, especially from Trina and her, quote, minions. Um, we unabashedly liked men. We liked oh, being sexy. No! And we felt our female power to be a positive force. We also started looking oh, at Trina. Such a classic fucking trope. <laughs> I know. We also started looking at Trina's work more critically and concluded that it was shallow, childish, simplistic, and humorless. <laughs> we were more comfortable seeing ourselves as bad girls, sluts, and anarchist artists doing sure. whatever we please. Cool. Yep. Yep. This yep. Is an, this, the tale is old as time in I feminism. Know. <laughs> I know. I think it's just so funny, like, the clashing between the two versions of feminism at the time, because it was, you know second wave feminism but it's also i think a little bit just because trina was older and she'd also already been through a lot of shit right like she had been she'd i don't know she'd gone through the fucking hippie phase she'd had her own boutique like she'd done all the drugs like she was she didn't need any of that bullshit right um and they were still going through it yeah exactly it's like feminism meets uh generally generationalism yeah but yeah, it's like yeah. it's like you're old and you just don't understand. Like we're cutting it. Like every young generation thinks that they're cutting edge. Yeah. And then they grow up and they're like, oh fucking young kids. God damn those. Like young I'm going people. through it right now. Every time I see teenagers, I'm like, God damn it, they're so loud and insane. And I'm like, well, we were the same fucking way. Yep. And the teenagers before us were the same fucking way. Yep. And everybody thinks they're radical and that old people just don't understand. 100%. But also meets feminism. <laughs> oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so Trina's official involvement with Wonder Woman, a character she had long admired, began in 1986. 
Oh. Um, at the conclusion of the first volume of the series, in con- conjunction with the series Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC Comics published a four-issue limited series titled The Legend of Wonder Woman, written by Kurt Busiek. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Um, and drawn by Trina Robbins. And she was the first one to draw Wonder Woman. And the series paid homage to the character's golden age roots. She also made, uh, or sorry, she also appeared as herself in the Wonder Woman Annual 2 in 1989. In the mid-1990s, Robbins criticized artist Mike Diodato, Diodato, We'll, we'll go with that. Sure. Um, with his bad girl art portrayal of Wonder Woman, calling his version of the character a barely clothed hypersexual pinup, <laughs> uh, which I appreciate. Yeah, and well, that's kind of the roots of Wonder yeah, Woman anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, in the 1990s or late 1990s, Robbins collaborated with Colleen Duran on the DC Comics graphic novel, Wonder Woman, the once and future story on the subject of spousal abuse. What? Yeah. Yeah. I, he's read every one of these that you've mentioned. I know. I know. Your boyfriendism. A he's a catalog. Nerd. Yeah. You, no, I like it. That's why I love you. It works well. Um, <laughs> uh. So, yeah. I mean, she's had a long fucking career. She... She's, yeah, man. If she was born in the 30s and she was still drawing in the, the late 1990s. Yeah. And she's, she stopped drawing in the early 19 or in the late 1990s, I guess, due to a bout of depression. And yeah. Great. We'll never escape depression. I know. And according to her, the fact that people ceased inviting her to draw, which mm. who knows what that. I mean, it, could, it really could be that because ageism is an issue yeah. in that industry. And Intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but she has continued to write comics and prose. Um, and she's still alive today. And she's still alive. Holy shit. Yeah. So. She's like my grandpa's age. She's going to be 80 this year or she just turned 80 this year. All right. There it is. Um, yeah. So another comics journalist, uh, Heidi McDonald, said, anytime there was talk of integrating the industry more or getting comics to girls, that was Trina's crusade. She didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be the only woman in the room. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Robbins thinks the world is finally catching up to her and her aspirations. Thank God. Yeah. Though there are still obviously many mountains to climb. Ah, mountains to climb. Um, women and gender issues are more prominent in the comics world than they've ever been, with a bevy of female writers, artists, and writer artists working on everything from superhero stories to autobiographical web comics. Yeah. Um, One she- of my favorite female artists right now is Fiona Staples. Okay. Staple? Staples? She does Saga. And oh. she works a lot with Brian K. Vaughn. Oh. She's fucking great. Yeah. She's amazing. Dude, yeah. Well, and Gail Simone is the one that always comes out to me because... She doesn't come out to me. She stands out to me. Um, because she has drawn, like, fucking everything. And she's kind of a legend that is a living legend, you know, in comics. So she said, I used to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. I'm not anymore. There are all of these women. They're so talented. They're so smart. And they all think like me. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. That's so sweet. I know. I'm glad she feels hopeful. She feels very hopeful. For this crusade that she began forever yeah. ago. Yep. Yep. I want to see what her Wonder Woman artwork, art 
work. <sighs> well, this is why I said there were a lot of opportunities for things to like post on Instagram because she yeah. her comics are everywhere. There you go. You have a Wonder Woman pop socket. Which is new. Which is new. So, you know, it's I was... Like we're weirdly always on the same sort of, like, wavelength. There you go. Somehow, some way. Yeah, man. Um, I do have a little bit of On This Day in History. Bring it. If you would like it. Always. <laughs> uh, What's today, Hannah? Today is March 20th. Holy shit. If you can believe it. We're getting close to your birthday. I know. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! I real I was like, oh, thirty is gonna be like a crisis year, and then it passed, and I was like, all right, I think I'm doing okay. Now you're gonna be thirty. I think thirty one is maybe the crisis year. Well, maybe you're just overblowing it. We'll see. I don't know. Um, 1789, Pennsylvania ends prohibition of theatrical performances because <laughs> the Quakers. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um. This is I. This is also just funny. Ni- uh, 1799, Congress standardizes U.S. weights and measures. What does that mean? It means the system that we currently use, pounds oh, and no. blah, blah, blah. Oh, pounds and inches and feet. Yep. yep. It was Where standardized. Where the rest of the world is like, what are you doing? Yeah. 1799. Fahrenheit degrees. Can you fucking believe that? My French coworker is always just like, I don't know how to translate height and... It- no. I'm like, I don't know how, when you say your X number of centimeters, I don't know what that means either. Yeah. I this don't know. is fucked. Why was I taught wrong? <laughs> Why were we taught wrong? I don't know. Because obviously the way I was taught makes sense to me because it's how I learned it. Dude, yeah. I mean, I lived in Canada for two years and it was the most confusing time of my life because everything was measured in fucking metric metrics. Um, metric system. Uh, 1882, Queen Victoria narrowly escapes assassination. Good for her. Yeah. When Roderick McLean shoots at her while boarding a train in Windsor. I know. I know. She was boarding the train. Yeah. He's like getting on a train. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'll shoot at you. Um, 1903, Martha Washington hotel open okay i was like she wasn't alive then (laughs) i'll say that again 1903 martha washington hotel opens and it caters to women only wait but why like like female travelers i think so yeah it's just like only women are allowed to stay here oh this one i'm saying just because like duh 1917 puerto rico uh gains u.s citizenship yeah, because so frequently white nationalists forget that Puerto Rico is... Uh, a fucking U.S. territory? Yeah. Yeah. 1917. It's been over a fucking century. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Take off that Puerto Rico shirt. This is America. Okay, well, w- this is a U.S. territory, so... Yeah. I'm allowed to do it. It's like me wearing a Colorado flag. Yep. Yep. <laughs> this uh, is America. Take off that Colorado flag t-shirt. What? Let's see. I have a bunch more, but I think I'm going to skip ahead. 1974, the grand jury concludes that U.S. President Richard Nixon is involved in the Watergate cover-up. God, I wish we had politics like that these days. <laughs> oh. Where there's irrefutable evidence of federal crimes yeah, that yeah. our president is is implicit in and, and nothing do, is happening. We do something about it. Yeah. Okay. 1977, Betty Davis is the first woman to receive the American Film Institute Life Achievement Award. Award. Betty Davis is so fucking complicated and great. Yeah, 
I know. I would love to do her on this podcast. Someday, girl. I got to do her. Yeah. And last one. You don't know enough about Betty Davis. Uh, 2016 U.S. astronauts Scott Kelly and Russian cosmonaut Mikhail Kornienko. Mikhail. Mikhail. I don't know. That, whatever. I could be. Uh. <laughs> Kornienko returned to Earth after nearly a year on the International Space Station, setting a um, ISS record. For how long they were up there? Mm-hmm. Oh. 340 days. I saw a, a post that I almost wanted to read is that it's like the first all-female mission going up to the space station just happened whoa Where it's like only female astronauts going up uh yeah you better find that so we can talk about it next time yeah i will in the meantime what are you excited about okay kitty um i am very excited about oh no my series is freaking out um i'm just excited about a lot of upcoming movies i know we talk about this all the time but you know like i just showed you the new trailer for uh detective pikachu which looks amazingly great I which love it. it blows my mind oh. because when they told me they were making a, de- a detective pikachu movie and they being the general public like when i found out i was like oh my god i roll like fuck they're yeah. gonna fuck this up of it's course. gonna be cheesy it's gonna be only for kids detective pikachu are you kidding Come me on. but then like having seen the trailer i'm like so excited it looks so good i know and, it does like i love the the realistic uh, animations of Pokemon like that for some reason that really gets me excited and um, I love Justice Smith I think he's one of the most talented actors of his generation and I love seeing him getting more like exposure like yeah. he was in the Jurassic World the the most recent one and uh, he was in Paper Towns which you know was like the least popular of the John Green movies so far mm. yeah. uh, and he was in uh, The Get Down which I'm one of the few people who's oh, watched that oh yeah yeah um, uh, that I know anyway. Um, and But he did this play here in New York uh, with MCC called Yen, which is a British play. And he did it with Lucas Hedges, um, who's the kid from Manchester by the Sea. And he just did Ben is Back. And they're mm. both just powerhouse mm-hmm. young actors of their generation. And they played bro- like British brothers in this movie. And it was like the most insane, heartbreaking play I've seen in a long time. And it's because they were just so fucking good. Shit. And and also um Brightburn? Uh, oh my god. Who fuck. The woman who played their mother in that play is one of my favorite mm. actresses too. Ari Grainer, thank you. And she's in I'm Dying Up Here. Yeah. Yeah. Um Ari Grainer's just fucking fantastic. She's our age, I think, but she's like an amazing actress and she played their mom. And oh my god. But anyway, Detective Pikachu looks fucking great. And I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And what else? There's another one. Brightburn. Well, that one I've just been introduced to, but I showed you that trailer, um, which Brightburn is James Gunn doing a horror take on what if Superman was evil. Yeah. So it's like him as a kid. It looks so good. Like as an alien landing and he gets picked on and he basically turns into a crazy evil kid once he realizes he has powers and he can control people basically. Yeah. And intimidate them and... Ooh, just like that moment with the woman pulling glass out of her eye. Like, I was just like, ha! oh, no, 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 no. Like, don't show me shit about eyes. No. Like, that gets me every time. Yeah, that was a lot. But it looks really crazy. And Elizabeth Banks is in it. And so is David Denman, which I haven't seen David Denman do something in a while. I'm sure he's been busy, but but he was um, Roy in the office. Ah. Well, well, well. Dude. Dude. I like it. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Uh, Hopefully Mercury well, Retrograde doesn't fuck up our attempts at recording without our producer here. I think I've done a pretty good I job. I trust in you. I don't trust in Mercury Retrograde. I'm like, I'm <laughs> watching all of this and it's recording. And That's I'm just going to assume that that means we're doing we're okay. We're good. So um, I really quickly, before we sign off, I wanted to say that we are working on getting the pins ordered. It is, it is a work in progress um, just because of schedules. And for whatever reason, February was like the most heinously busy month. Um, that all of us all of us yeah so and obviously this is not our only job so we are working on it you will get your um awesome pins i promise yep and um we'll be reaching out to you guys for addresses and stuff when that is uh when they're ready so just keep that in mind and in the meantime obviously please go reach out to us on social media we love to hear from you and leave us a review leave us a podcast email us yeah. All the stuff's in the show notes and in our, our outro. Yeah, man. GWBB podcast on pretty much everything. Yeah. You know that by now. You know the drill. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, thank you for listening and peace out, witches. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email Email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.